level. I want you to think of your leadership in the terms of coaching. Coaching effectively is all about leadership. And uh, we want to talk about something of that. Um, now, I'm going to... You've got notes there, uh, but I will be skipping some bits and uh, just hitting the highlights. Uh, if we did the whole thing there, you know, we'd be here an hour and a half. So, um, I just want to talk, and you can use that by way of reference. Um, I, I want, when we talk about... Uh, uh, oh, by the way, everybody look at me right now. Yeah. Eyeballs. One fundamental... I, I have very few things I ask of people I minister to. One is a cup of tea with honey in it that you've given me. Another one is bananas. The third one is that nobody looks through your notes. Nobody read the bottom of the page when I'm at the top. No one needs page two when I'm on page one. Alright? You stay with the point that I'm on. Good. Okay. Now, why, okay. when we're talking about Lifting. I want to talk. I want to talk. You have small groups here, right? Yes. Um, doesn't matter what you call them, but your church corporate will only ever become what they are. Now, the the corporate worship and celebration is unto the Lord and unto the community and unto the people by way of inspiration and challenge and the corporate is a massive part of the reason God's got you here but what will your church ultimately become as far as fruitful in the kingdom as far as taking Hastings for God the Hawke's Bay for God New Zealand and other nations for God you've got to see that it's only what you do with the individual at the ground's root that is going to ultimately empower that and so therefore what you now do as leaders with your small group leaders that are responsible I assume to you uh, is absolutely critical absolutely vital must become an absolute priority because one and so I'm going to be talking about them but in order to talk about them I must talk about you why? Because of the one non-negotiable fundamental principle of leadership is this, that you will only ever reproduce after your own kind. It's a principle of life. You reproduce after your own kind. Okay, so that's why I want to talk about you in order to talk about them. Okay, number one, as an existing leader, we have a past level, a present level, and a future level of effectiveness. Kicking into what we shared in our previous session together. Okay? Talked about a possessed future, empowered present, a fully resolved past. Now, I'm not going to go over all that again, although I could spend time on that. But um, think now specifically of your leadership effectiveness. Your leadership effectiveness. I want you to think about that and the leadership effectiveness of those small group leaders. It is what? Based upon what we said in our first session, what is it? It's clay. Your leadership effectiveness right now is the clay that you hold in your hands. It's moldable. It's moldable. What will happen to it? Well, that's what you're deciding. You're deciding that now. Okay? 
There's no, there's no point in fatalism when it comes to leadership. Your leadership is decisional. Your leadership is something you decide to do something with. Okay, the future falls for every single person here. Your future falls into two categories, that which is beyond your decision. In other words, the events of life that you have no control over that happen and they come and come into your world. Okay, and then there is that which is directly the fruit of your decision and that which is determined by your response to life your response to situations. Can I say to you that your future level of leadership effectiveness falls into the category of your choice. You either sustain your present level or you reach out for the next level. It's a choice. And I, I came here today to say that the life and the health of a church or a life group or a person's leadership is in the future that you instill within them. Without the future potential, there's no point in the diligence and the sacrifice that is going to be demanded by the present. There's got to be the future. There's got to be the dream. We've been talking about that. I want to say this, that uh, when it comes, I'll just share what I wrote down here, that life group leaders' capacity to leave the past behind and possess future potentials has a substantial impact on the enthusiasm of their people in the present. Let me say that again. I want you to get a hold of this. Because I'm talking about your life group leaders and I hope they hear this tape. That life group leader's potential to leave their past behind and to reach forward to possess their future is what will empower their people to make the diligence and sacrifice necessary now. It will be, unless that life group leader is inflamed with a passion to possess, their people will live in mediocrity. It's what empowers the productivity of the present. Are we getting a hold of this? If you are to get greater focus and passion flowing in the heart of your leaders you have to put a fresh large carrot in front of the donkey there's got to be something that drives them to go outside of their comfort zone to make the sacrifices that others would not make there's got to be something there we need the future potential we also need um, to understand and please hear me on this but successful people Diligent people, productive people, fruitful people are not involved in small groups because they have nothing else to do and they desperately need to find something to fill another three, few hours a week. That is not the reason they're in it. If that was the reason they were in it, they would not be successful people. So they are involved. Why? Because they have a dream of what can be achieved. My question is, have you given them the dream? And does your small group leaders, I keep wanting to call them life group leaders, but your small group leader, do, is that where they are at? Is there a dream pushing them forward? Do they know what the dream is? If you're going to successfully coach your life group leaders into a greater level of effectiveness, you must first inspire them with fresh hope 
fresh confidence that it is possible. And then you have to impregnate their hearts with a vision that is clear in its objectives and made possible by faith. It's got to be doable, it's got to be recognizable, it's got to possess their hearts. Okay. Your number two in your note says, our attitudes and decisions will determine whether or not we have now reached our ceiling of effectiveness as a leader or not. I don't want you to confuse two things which are totally different. The size of your present management responsibility, in other words, what you are now managing, what you are now responsible for, should not be confused with your potential leadership skill. They're not the same thing. Breaking through to the next level for you personally may or may not, please get a hold of this, involve promotion to greater heights of management. In other words, it may or may not involve you getting a bigger group or a, or a wider number of groups or whatever. It may not involve greater management responsibility, but it must involve greater effectiveness as a leader. The two are not the same thing. You can have very small leadership skill potential and for a myriad of reasons be actually in charge today in many areas of large management responsibility. And you can have enormous leadership skill potential and yet be found for some reason in a small area of management responsibility. You see, some areas of life are best handled with a select few people. Others are best uh, uh, tackled with a large workforce. Uh, the numbers, this is what I want to say to you, is that the numbers that you have directly relating to your present leadership skill is not an indicator of your effectiveness as a leader. It's not how many you have under your leadership that counts. It's what you do with them. It's what you do. Leadership is what you do with those people. Jesus changed the world with 12. Somebody, some people couldn't change their street if they had a thousand. Why? Because it's an attitude. It's a grace. It's a gifting. All of those things. And some people who, 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 who might have 10 small groups under their management responsibility right now a year from now, they're still going to have the same ten and they're going to be contented, well cared for, shepherding, lovely, clappy, happy people enjoying church and basically useless in the kingdom of God. Someone else might only have only three groups under their care and jurisdiction, but a year from now, they're going to have seven and they're going to be winning souls, pulsating with life, reaching out to establish the kingdom. Why? Because the amount of your management responsibility is not what I'm talking about. It's, to, it's what provokes your leadership into the next level. Can we say amen to any of this? Amen. Okay. As I said earlier, I say it again now because it is so critical. Never allow to persist, persist in your mind this saying. If only I had greater recognition. If only I had greater management responsibility. If only I had more groups. If only I had been given a greater title. If only I... If only. If only I could then achieve more. It's rubbish. It's not true. 
If only I had more personal assistance by um, uh, the oversight, I, I could achieve more. It's not true. It simply is not true. Why? I want, please, I want you to get this next point. Why? Because, hear me, hear me, hear me. Your effectiveness as a leader is not determined by external recognition or assistance. They can play a supportive role. They do play a wonderful supportive role. But your eventual fruitfulness as a leader is determined by an internal reality, the attitudes you hold. That's what determines it. Why? Because our future leadership is not an event. It's not a management title. What is it? It's the fruit of who we are. It's who you are that you reproduce. It's who you are. That leadership may express itself in events of life, have to respond to the events of life, but it's never determined by the events of life. Your leadership is eternal. Everybody say that. My leadership is internal. Go on. My leadership is internal. Good. That's great that some of you said it. Now everybody say it. My leadership is internal. Okay. And why? The hemicay is the attitudes you hold. It's the values you possess. It is the principles you've learned and the passion and discipline with which you have applied them. It's an internal issue. And it's governed by the attitudes you hold and how effectively you now impregnate. You hear me? Impregnate those attitudes in the small group leaders that you have in this local church. It is not going to be accidental. It has to be incredibly intentional. Everybody say intentional. Yeah. Turn to the one next to you and say, we're going to get intentional. Yeah. We're going to get intentional. It has to be intentional. Okay. Now, there's two, and I'm, you're abbreviating a lot of this, but there's two twin attitudes that we have to hold. And that is one, a dependence on God but two, a boldness of heart. Okay? Now, it is... You can just use your notes by way of future reference. I'd rather you kind of focus on what I'm really saying here. Um, may or may not should have given them out. I don't know. But Christian leaders, I've found, can spend vastly more time reading about and developing techniques and how-tos rather than spending time with their heavenly father who alone can empower them supernaturally to get the job done. We don't need more techniques, we need more intimacy. We need men and women that know God, that spend time with God. They come out of the closet with something about them that others will say, whoa, they must have been with Jesus. But we get dependent upon our humanity. The number of spirit-filled, tongue-talking Christians that basically, when you analyze it, you carve back the layers and you get inside of them, basically, basically, depend on themselves. They, they depend upon humanity. They depend upon uh, how much money the bank says. They depend upon how much physical strength their body indicates they have. They depend upon how much smarts their education has given them. They depend upon how much gift and ability their training has been able to build and develop within them. It's all human. 
differently. And they will go for the rest of their lives forever limited to the confines of humanity. Above all, we need to lift people out of that into the realm of intimacy. Intimacy with our Father. And through that intimacy with the Father, a 24-7 consciousness of the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit in every area of my life. And friends, here's what I want to say to you. I'm glad we're friends. It starts with you. It starts with your leadership. Because the principle of leadership is that generally people only ever go where the leaders lead them or allow them to go. Your leadership is like a cork in a bottle, a lid on a pan, a roof on a house. Okay? But what does the word leader mean by sheer definition? The one out front. So it's your passion for God. It's your intimacy with the Father. It's your empowerment by the Holy Spirit that has got to lead the way. You've got, excuse me, you have to live the life. Then you get a hold of your home, your, your small group leaders, and you, and you live the life with them, and you inspire them, you goad them, you challenge them. You don't allow them to ever get away from the inescapable demand that God is placing upon them to come into intimacy with his own heart and become Holy Ghost, Spirit-led, Spirit-directed, Holy Spirit-empowered people. You keep pumping it, you keep living it, you keep breathing it, you keep saying it. Why? Because they cannot and must not stay bound by humanity as they are now it becomes almost an obsession of a godly nature your job as a coach is to impart into them boldness of spirit you teach them on boldness you teach them on faith you teach them on walking with God you teach them about being great friends with God you teach them about the divine potential talk about Gideon the transformation into divine potential talk about that stuff God doesn't see you through the eyes of what life has made you to be God looks at you through the eyes of divine potential because he knows what he can now make you to be okay that's the story of Gideon okay great man of valor are you kidding but God was looking at him through the eyes of divine potential but you've got to pump that into the hearts of of your small group leaders so firstly you teach them but secondly you build them you build them with your affirmation with your confidence building communication you speak into them your words are creative your words creative and I remember something that Margaret used to teach on the subject of uh, child rearing and whatnot. she used to say this all the time what you highlight will grow what you highlight will grow. Well, and it's not in your notes. But what you highlight will grow. And if you speak to children, you dummy, you dummy, that's exactly what they'll be. You speak to children, you may have had an event that didn't go well. But you're, 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 tomorrow's going to be better. You're, you're a success just waiting to explode from the inside. Uh, you need to speak words. That the Bible says that power of life and death are held where? In the tongue. It's what you speak into the hearts of your small group leaders. What are you speaking? What are you saying to them? I'm just a failure. No, you can't be. It's a contradiction of the English language. That's not a possibility. 
Anybody that knows the fundamentals of English knows that you cannot possibly be a failure. Why? Because failure is an event, it's not a person. So you can have a failure, but you can never be one. And so, what does that tell you? That tells you join the human race. You jo join Peter, and John, and Paul, and Silas, and Agapus, the heroes of faith, Abraham, Moses. They all had failures. But were they failures? No, 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 no more than you are. Okay, but above all, live it. Um, now, the other thing that you have to bear in mind, that each of us is uniquely crafted. Not one of us is a shame. Okay, this is it really essential. Uh, your natural giftedness toward leadership is definitely not the same, and I'm not even implying that. We, we know every single person is different, right? Everybody's unique. Why? Because God has uniquely crafted them for a unique destination, a unique destiny, uh, objective. Okay. Um, so, um, if you are going to help, I'm going to abbreviate all this, but if you, if you want to really help lift your small group leaders into the next level of their effectiveness in their leadership, you must deal with them as individuals. Yes, you, you must deal with them in the uniqueness that is their own. Okay, what is their individual grace? Um, and here's a very critical point that I really want you to hear now. If you're going to deal with them individually in their uniqueness of their grace, which you must, the second thing you're going to have to ask yourself, first of all, listen to me now, you, first of all, you identify their uniqueness. Identify their individual grace. It might be strongly pastoral. It might be strongly evangelistic. It might be strongly prophetic. What you identify it. And then find the person that is so critically necessary to complement them. Why? Because the two things, and I feel God tells me to say this, listen to me, the two things that your small group leaders, leadership have to have, there's a lot of things that would be good for them to have, great for them to have, the only two things that they must possess is evangelism and discipleship. And if you have someone that is strongly pastoral leading that home group, the discipleship will be much more easily obtainable. But what about evangelism? Well, that's where you, recognizing their uniqueness, start them, complement them. Never have two pastoral people leading a small group. If you've got a small group person led by a pastoral uh, person, then feed them on discipleship, but get somebody in alongside of them as an associate or an under uh, leader or whatever it is, who is strongly evangelistic. And if you have an evangelistic leader in a small group, then feed them on their evangelism, but make sure they're complemented with a pastoral discipleship person. In other words, what are you doing? You're feeding their strength, but appointing to their weakness. You complement their weakness. Understand? The two essential, non-negotiable things in your objective must be that the leadership of every single small group has to have the components of evangelism and discipleship.
The tragedy is within the uniqueness of your gift. Before I say that, can I just say this? This is, this is important. Um, there's nothing as frustrating and defeating as always falling short of a coach's expectation. Uh, of being driven to lift the bar in an expression of ministry that is completely outside of your God-given grace. You cannot get a person whose strong calling is an evangelist and say, now I want you to lift the whole bar in the air of pastoral concern and discipleship. You're lifting a bar that's, that's, like, get, that's like getting a weightlifter to lift the bar in a high jump. It's going to lead to frustration. They ought to lift the bar in what their grace is. They should lift the bar in where they are gifted and called. And then you complement them with what they obviously need to get the twin objective realized. Are we communicating here? Okay. Never forget number six, accept the challenge of discipleship. Can I say this is absolutely critical. And I hope you guys are praying for my voice. I, uh, I do three 45-minute sessions tonight, and uh, I don't know, eight of them tomorrow or something, okay? And that's why I sip this marvelous tea. Accept the challenge of discipleship. Matthew 4:19. Okay, eyes front. I wonder how many of you know your Bible. I'm sure you all do. So then you are fully aware that Jesus said to his disciples, what did he say to his disciples? He said, what did he say? He says, I want you to be what? Fishers of men. You all know when Jesus said that? Hmm? Is that in your Bible? <laughs> Good man. Because Jesus absolutely never said that. I've heard wonderful messages where people have preached on it and he never ever said it. He never said, I want you to be fishers of men. Ever. He said, I will make you fishers of men. Very, very, very different. Very different. He didn't, see, when that statement he gave them, the two things they needed, and your, you needed, your the small group leaders, they needed, what was it? Vision and hope. He gave them the objective, fishers of men. But he told them what part he personally was going to play in that process. I will make you fishers of men. And that is the essence of discipleship. We have been so good at getting a hold of people and saying, this is what you've got to be, this is what you've got to be, this is what you've got to be. And they get so pumped and they go out on a Sunday night and, and it's going to be awesome. And 12 months later, 6 months later, you're having to tell them all over again. Don't, 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 don't put a carrot in front of your donkey if his feet are set in cement. Take the cement off, put the carrot there, and empower the donkey to reach it. If people have an unresolved past 
if people are struggling in family matters, if people have got internal morality problems, if, if, if some of your leaders are still struggling with the basics of, of living a decisive, faith-filled Christian life on their own reckoning, hey, you've got to do something with the material you've got. That's why I'm saying to you, it's got to be intentional, this whole thing. Well, I'll talk a lot in your notes about survival and conquest. Let me just briefly sum it up. There's two attitudes that every... Let me say this to you. How's this for going out and skating on thin ice? I can guarantee that every single one of you in this room and every single one of your small group leaders, youth leaders, children's leaders, small group leaders, I'll guarantee you every single one of them falls into one of two categories. They either have one attitude or the other in their dealing with the people that are under their care. And it's survival or conquest. It's survival or conquest. It's pioneer or settler. They have one or the other. You know what I mean? Well, pastoring in the survival mentality is maintenance. They maintain their Christian life. They maintain the Christian walk. They're with their people, what do they do with their people? Well, they maintain them. They make sure they don't sin too much. They help them with their marriage problems. They help them with their kids. They counsel them as wisely as possible whenever they need their counsel. And all of that is vital. All that's necessary. All of it's critically good. But it's all completely insufficient. Why? Because it's all maintenance. You have to... You have to take the maintenance, never destroy the maintenance, but you have to take the maintenance and you have to do what with it? Add conquest to it. You have to put within them, not only the proper maintenance of the present, but put in them the spirit of conquest and faith and taking the next horizon. Why? Because otherwise, this is what your small groups will be, and your leadership will be, and your pastors, and your under-shepherds, and your home leaders. This is what they'll be. One, driven by the urgent cases. Two, dealing constantly with reacting to crisis. Three, being consumed with the immediate. And four, the scope of leadership limited to solving existing problems. Why? Because it's all maintenance. And friends, you'll never, ever build the army of God with people in leadership of your people who have maintenance-minded mentality. You, and that means if you say, well, so-and-so, yeah, I've just identified it. Their maintenance, wow, their survival, their maintenance. Don't go out and shoot them. They are a moldable commodity. The fact that they love Jesus tells you they're moldable. They're multiple. If you, let me say this, if you have them in existing leadership now, at any level, at any level, over two people, whatever it is, that should tell you something. That, that they're basically a decent Christian person. I mean, if they weren't a basically decent Christian person, would you be putting them in any sort of leadership? No. So you must have seen something in order to give them that. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Now, therefore, take the something that exists and mold it, shape it, form it, empower it. 
do something with it to take it to the next level. And the word that covers it is what? Discipleship. I will make you. And then, what do you have to do? Get hold of your small group leaders and refocus them on the vision. But in order to do that, you have to know what it is. And what is the vision? Just focus on me right now for a second. What is the vision for the small group leaders? What do they exist for? Why are they a small group leader? You, uh, you can get a book to stick on it. You can have 25 reasons for being. Most of it's fluff. I give it to you in three statements. Win the lost, disciple the saint, release the ministry. If they're not doing it, then confront them, change them, inspire them, encourage them. But six months from now, every single small group leader and everybody that claims any level of leadership in this local church should be embracing why they are breathing. Win the lost, disciple the saint, release the ministry. Why do you release the ministry? So the ministry can win the lost, disciple the saint, and release the ministry. It's really that simple. Every single leader should be impregnating their people. Get into society. Become part of the community. Impregnate people with Jesus and his DNA. We are, uh, you will, we will talk of tonight and tomorrow, overcome one rule, and we will find that the whole reason you exist is to bring the kingdom. That's right. And the kingdom, the word basileia is what? Not an actual kingdom, but rather the authority to rule over kingdoms. So when Jesus said, you know, when I cast out demons, the kingdoms come. What are you saying? My authority to rule over other kingdoms has just been demonstrated. You walk into a hospital, you bring the kingdom. Why? Because Jesus ruled. When you have a conversation where, where anger is everywhere, and you walk in and you bring peace, what has happened? Kingdom rule. You see, you're there to bring the God DNA. They're there to bring the God DNA in society. Jesus said, if I'm lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. People aren't anti-Jesus, they're anti-the church, they're anti-religion, they're anti-what they perceive to be. I've got to be careful because they're going down tape, but boy, am I passionate about this. Mike, I'm getting on this one because Margaret and I, after 30 odd years of talking about it, finally had our long service leave. And that in itself is a cool story, but I won't take your time now. But I'm telling you, God cares about everything in life. Do you know that? That's right. Let me tell you something. We've just taken our long service leave, 10 weeks in Europe. Wow. And when they suggested it to me, I said, don't be stupid. I, I just I said, forget it. Don't even think about it. I said, We're not, I'm not doing it. That's not good stewardship. I'd never spend God's money that way, etc. And then, and then the voices just kept persisting. And so I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, if that's you, and, I, and that, this is all you, Lord, then I want a confirmation within the next few days 
that is so mega, so big, so bang between the eyeballs that no one would ever be able to dispute it. Mm. And a guy walked through my door, sat down, came to me for counsel. I tried to help him the best way I can, and he turned around and said to me, by the way, are you and Marek taking a holiday or not? And I said, uh, well, yeah, we, we were talking about it. He said, that's good, because I've got business classes or seats around the world for you and Margaret. Wow. I said, Lord, that's a pretty good confirmation. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. It's, only ever happened, it's, only ever happened, it's only ever happened once in my entire life, and it happens within a few days, and you're saying, God, I get, I get this one. You know, when he came back a few days later and said, rhubarb, this business, there's a few hiccups. We'll make it first class. Oh. And he flew us everywhere around the world for, for, in first class. Okay, so we went on Mediterranean cruise. We went on a two-week cruise through all the rivers of Europe and the Rhine. We lifted up like kings, and you know what? It didn't cost us one cent, not one single cent, and not one cent did we have to walk. Why? Because it was a God idea. It was a God idea. You see, it's here in the bay, isn't it? I got off the subject, but you know what? I keep getting dragged towards giving you stories. Do you know why? I really want you to... I don't know what's coming up, Mike, but in the middle of me talking about leadership and all this, I, f I can sense this tug. Just dropping a story like in now. I wasn't flapping my gums then. I hope you got it. Money is never the issue. That's right. It's hearing and obeying. If you're doing what God tells you to do, the rest of it's not an issue. Obedience is the issue. I've got to work towards the eventual possibility of a probable close. It's about establishing the kingdom. Everything they do in life should be seen as establishing the kingdom. We just went on this 10-week thing. What was it? What was it? A holiday. But was it got appointed? Yes. Can it establish the kingdom? Yes. Do you know that on that quote, listen to me, on that holiday, we happen to make a connection with a guy in the Netherlands who just turns out to be an apostolic voice to Western Europe and John Maxwell's point man for Western Europe. And now I'm going back next year to speak to 10 uh, we're actually going to be about 20 uh, senior leaders from Western Europe, but 10 of them are actually leaders of movements, and I'm going to have them for a whole week and take them through the leaders of definitely. Yeah. Uh, and uh, then while we're in England, um, connection, 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 connection. So we're now going to do a week in England. Leaders of Destiny is going to be launched next year in UK and Europe. You see, God's got it all in mind. It's here and obey. I've got to work towards... I've got to close. Let me say this too. Get, get, get this essential down. I think it might be in your notes, but get it, write it down here. Your small groups have got to be transformed from sheepfolds into army barracks. A change of mentality. You need... Leaders that will focus on the commission, win the lost, disciple the saint, release the ministry. And, um, okay, and then finally, and I skipped over a whole heap of stuff, but I will arrange for you to get a tape if you want it, which has the whole caboodle on it. Um, 
The final thing I want to say to you is, everything that I've said now, please focus on these last two or three minutes, be alert and awake. Everything I've said this morning, everything I've said in this session, everything God intends, is just an exercise of frustration and futility. You may as well forget it. Unless you do this one thing. You disciple them. And you help them with some sound strategy to reach the goal. Don't impassion them without commitment to disciple them. You have to sit down with each individual leader and analyze their present leadership effectiveness and in what areas do they need to lift the bar. How do they go from being a four out of a ten to being a five out of a ten or six? You need them to be able to establish doable strategies. Stretchable but doable. I wrote this little statement down, so this is not in your notes because I just scribbled it down here. So, so, so write this down. Vision will inspire, but strategy will empower. Vision will inspire, but strategy will empower. And within strategy is implied strategy and discipleship. And so how well are they doing? How well are they discipling others? And if you don't know the answers, and if you're not personally equipped then don't be condemned about that. Don't struggle with that. You just decide, I'm lifting my bar. If I lift my bar, I can help lift their bar. If I don't know, then I will find out till I do know. If I have to read a book on it, I'll read a book on it. If I have to spend two days in fasting and prayer, I'll spend two days in fasting and prayer. If I have to cry out to God, if I have to go see Michael Joy and get some goodies on this subject, if I have to say to him, listen, I don't know the answer to what you've asked me, but I will find out. And it's a whole attitude. You have decided an issue. One, your personal life is going up to the next level. And everybody that is responsible to you, the ones that God now has given to your charge, or the arena that you're in in ministry or function, they are going to go to the next level of effectiveness. God doesn't expect you to have all the answers and all the strategies when you walk out that door. All he expects is an attitude that has decided the issue. I will not rest until my life goes into the next level. And everybody that is under me will go to the next level. Not in some ruthless, wrongly motivated, driven sense, but a passion. A passion. Please, my Father, extend the kingdom of Jesus. We're part of the most glorious thing this world has ever seen. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, it all comes out of one thing. Your intimacy with the Father's heart and your conscious submission to the person of the Holy Spirit. And tonight and tomorrow, I trust you'll all be there. I'm going to really beef that out. Spiritual authority that I'm talking about in the next couple of days is not a zip-zap at an altar call. You can't get it out of a book. Nobody can impart it to you. 
It is a developed spiritual muscle. It's entirely in your hands. Which is a wonderful thing. Why? It means it's achievable. A gift. I'll say this tonight and tomorrow so you'll hear again. But your gift is something given to you. You have no control over that. But spiritual authority is not a gift. It's a development. It's something that needs to be developed. That means it is attainable, is achievable by you 